From Ringler, this is Ringler Radio, a podcast where we keep you current on the latest news from the settlement industry, updates on nationwide litigation, trends in the legal and insurance industries, and everything in between. Ringler has been helping injured people and their families since 1975. So when it comes to objective settlement solutions, the consultants at Ringler are your go-to experts. Welcome back to Ringler Radio. I'm your host, Matt Ross. In episode 327, we discuss preparing for a mediation with Ron Bankston and Bob Caples. To continue that conversation, we connected with another mediator, Rachel Ehrlich, to take a deeper dive about understanding the process of a mediation and how it's used today. Let's hear what she had to say. Rachel, welcome. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. Let's start here. Could you tell us about your background and how you kind of came to be a mediator at the end of the day? I, like many mediators, did go to law school, and I practiced briefly. I uh, deliberately went to law school to be an insurance coverage lawyer and wanted to work in-house at an insurance company and did that. So I was in-house as counsel for 11 and a half years, became a manager of lawyers and did various things in the corporate environment. And when I left that particular company, I went on to manage an insurance claims department. So I was an insurance claims executive. And when I was leaving that job, didn't know what I was going to do next. I really wanted to take some time off. And some folks said, would you be interested in becoming a mediator? Because they thought that the combination of what they had seen plus the insurance coverage background was something that was missing in the mediation marketplace. And after a little bit of self-deliberation and self-reflection and getting some training, here we are eight years later. All right. <laughs> so what did people see? What 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 was it about you and the, the background that you had and the character traits that you possess that kind of sparked their interest to say, oh, no, you should do this? So one person said, um, you know, we need people who understand you know, the personal injury claims, the other construction defect stuff and other types of claims that, that they were working on. These were defense lawyers and who also could help them and help explain to people insurance and insurance coverage in a way that lay people could understand. And they had experienced that with me as their kind of internal customer. And, uh, and also the person had the particular person who was saying that said, and I've had you where I took you to a mediation because we needed a high up person and you you displayed great empathy and you, you know, interacted with the plaintiff who was badly injured in a way that really helped the case settle and had seen how I negotiate as well. So it was kind of a combination okay. and a constellation of things involving high, higher empathy with folks, which you learn as a manager. Yeah, what what a concept of uh, active listening, actually being interested in what people have to say and showing empathy for what they actually feel to connect with people. I mean, who would have thought that that, would be, thought? <laughs> that that would be a positive trait? No, it, it, it well, it, it's sad that, you know, people don't obviously do, practice that more, right? I mean, people are looking for that. I think that makes people effective and it, it's good. So where did you learn? How did you learn that skill? I mean, it, it, some some it comes more naturally to others, but I mean, I'm guessing that is a learned skill over time for you. So I think active listening, I mean, it's a big part of mediation training. They don't always talk about it as active listening, but it is a big part of it. It's also part of management training. And it's something that 
Now, when I when I would work with lawyers who were uh, working for our department in whatever way it was, uh, I'm talking outside lawyers, we would talk about, well, so, you know, what's helpful? Or they'd talk about something going on in their firm, and we'd actually have some management. I thought, oh, I could be a management consultant for law firms at one point because of <laughs> some of the things that were coming up. Or how do you interview people? Um, things of that nature that give you insight mm-hmm. into somebody's character. That same, how are they going to be? How is somebody going to behave as an employee? The same kind of thing gets leveraged in mediators. It's all about just being interested in people. It's an incredible honor to have people bear themselves to you. And not that I'm a voyeur. When I did defense work, I was really bad about looking at medical records. I, I to this day, don't get most of the medical terminology in terms of abbreviations and things like that. I'm just not enough of a voyeur to be interested in that. So, you know, but what I find interesting is sort of the human condition and how things play out. And just, and it's not my, it's not my life. And it's so much easier to be the editor than the drafter. So, you know, when you Mm. give people advice, you're being the editor. You said something so profound, Rachel. You were talking about the human condition and just being a connecting point between people. I think that's really profound and I think that's really insightful because, you know, I would imagine as a mediator, you're you're sitting in a room and you're listening to people's stories and you have to find some sort of commonality in them in order to make a connection so these people can come together to find a solution. Uh I think I'm getting ahead of myself though. So let me take a quick step back. And let me ask you, for those that actually haven't been in a mediation before, could you describe it for us? All right. So mediation is facilitated negotiation. I am the facilitator. I am not a decision maker. I'm not a judge. I'm not a former judge. And so I, as the facilitator, don't make decisions. The decisions belong to the parties in consultation with whoever their negotiation coaches might be. Often it's their advocates, their lawyers. And so the lawyers, and sometimes, you know, the lawyers are front and center. And sometimes it depends who's more forward. When we do it in person, it's very interesting to see when I walk into a room, where have they positioned people in the room? Where have they positioned the client relative to where the mediator might sit? Where have they positioned the attorney relative to where the mediator might sit? Because sometimes it's the attorneys are there. The client's pulled back from the table in some way. There's, there's all sorts of things when you're in person that you can, that, that exist. Same thing in the defense room. If you have a corporate representative, an insurance claims representative, and, and lawyers in the room, who's talking more? Who's at the table? Who's sitting there with a laptop in front of them and forming a barrier between you? Um, things of that nature. Those are all things that just sort of are uh, nonverbal, just initial input. And those are initial impressions that we all kind of see. And those initial impressions try to avoid my, my training as a mediator is to avoid having that push me in one direction or another. I'm, I need to maintain that center ground within myself mm. amongst the yeah. parties and so on. It's my job to, I'm the, I describe myself as the guardian of the process as opposed to the orchestrator of it. I'm not the director. That would be a judge or an arbitrator, yes. someone who's going to be making decisions okay. or rulings on things. It's my job to see that the process has integrity to it 
But in the end, it's the party's process. I don't settle cases. Parties settle cases. Well, that's that's an interesting point. So what what should people – I mean, obviously, you have your own way of your process and how you enter into the mediation. I'm guessing how you get invited into a particular case could vary among a lot of things. So what what are some ways or things that people should be looking out for in a mediator that – they may either may not ask for today or they ask for all the time. And you're like, oh, that's a great interview question to kind of interview the mediator or people do people even interview mediators. I, I have no idea. People do interview mediators. And uh, the most common question that we hear is, oh, well, are you what kind of mediator are you? OK, well, what does that mean? Right. Yeah. What does that mean? And usually what yeah. they're getting at is it's usually somebody who's taken a class or read a book or read an article, and they're looking for something on a continuum of facilitative to evaluative or directive. And um, in some instances, there's a, a, to the to the even more kind of like touchy-feely end of things, there's transformative. How do you transform relationships? So it's kind of a continuum. So those are stylistic things that's worth asking people about. What do you do? And I usually say, I'm not one or the other, but I'll start out in a more facilitative mode to understand I want to hear what people have to say. I want to understand the impact to the people who claim they've been wronged. And then I want to move forward from there and kind of see what else happens. And sometimes we get to the point of me, yeah, actually saying, here's what I think. In some jurisdictions, yeah. you're not allowed as a mediator to say what you think unless the parties ask for it explicitly. Okay. Florida okay. would be one of those. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to be evaluative, you actually have to technically have their permission to do it. Got it. Okay. Yeah. So they they've 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 picked the mediator. They've they've gotten the right person for the right case because every case is different. Every mediator is different. Once the mediation date's been set, what should the parties be doing to prepare for that mediation? What are some best practice tips that they need to remember for meeting with you? It's kind of a host of things. So, I mean, among other things, I want people, I, I think people do better and get more out of it if they know why they're going. Why are we going? Okay. What do I hope to get out of it? And ha- to have secondary goals as well. Um, and, you know, goals can be a little bit too hard a word. Um, so maybe just what makes the day a success and to avoid, hey, it failed. Um, I think that they're giving themselves an F if they say the mediation failed, because it really is only, you you can't expect the mediator to do something if you don't put in the advanced work and put some work into the mediation yourself. So you have to Mm, actually prepare for it. Know why you're there, come with information and come with a spirit of kind of collaboration and conversation to be had. Okay, so we have to be, they have to know why the mediation is happening. They have to understand what success looks like for them. They need to be prepared, communicate effectively if they can, maybe sometimes with the mediator, maybe not. Now, once they're in the room, what are some things that you've seen have worked well in guiding the parties to a solution? There's, there's a... It goes back to their homework and what they've done to prepare. And then it also goes to 
what how well they um, respond to new information or new positioning from the other side. It's uh, you know there's there's a concept of you know people always say oh it's not my first rodeo. No, it's not. Or people say I've seen this case before, and my answer to that is I could say that about I don't know how many cases, but you know what I really haven't because each and every one is different and. Each and every one has different motivations. And that's what we don't know. Most people are icebergs. And you can't possibly know what's motivating them. Mm. We can't possibly know why somebody's going to settle a case where they're going to settle a case. Sometimes you've got people who have tremendous guilt over an injury that was suffered by a family member. You have parents when their kids have been molested who are second guessing their choice to send their kid to that preschool. You have um, a whole host of things that can motivate people that have nothing to do with money, but that manifest as money. And the same thing is true on the defense side. We don't know what's going on in a corporate environment. We don't know what's going on in a claims department. We don't know if the um, if there's suddenly a pendulum swinging to, we're paying too much in indemnity. Let's try more cases. Let's pick cases to try. Okay, what do we know about this case? Oh, oops, <laughs> picked the wrong one to try there. Uh, we didn't realize because <laughs> we didn't, we kind of didn't explore fully and we didn't know what was going on there. Well, so mediation could be an opportunity for that conversation to take place. But it's that thing of why are you going? And to, to, it goes back to that. And so how do you leverage the process? It's about being somewhat genuine. There's certainly things people lie to mediators all the time. And what I say to them is people lie to me all the time. I am not going to dig too deep into whether or not you're lying because I'll drive myself crazy and I might get it wrong. But I will say this, yeah. game me and you might game yourself out of a settlement. So be careful. Mm. Mm. So that's that's a major thing I, I, because do people like it sounds like people forget that this is a people transaction at the end of the day you're dealing with people they have perceptions they have emotions they have feelings if they can't connect on that level they don't know their audience then they could absolutely scuttle the opportunity of coming to a solution that's right so there's there's yeah. a whole host of that and all sides have that okay. So let, let's end with this. Um, you mentioned it slightly before, but I, I kind of want to spend a little bit more time here. Has the process of mediation changed over time? What I mean by that is I see mediation as a tool. Is that tool being utilized in the same way in the mid-2010s, early 2000s, as it is today? You know, obviously COVID and the pandemic with the virtualization, that's different. But is it, is it being used in a different way somehow? Yes, than before? it is. It is. Okay. And so, you know, 20 years ago, people showed up in a different way. They really prepared. They had their, a lot of the discovery was done. It was, cases were more mature. And then, and they knew why they were there and they knew why they would resolve it. And then eight years ago, when I was becoming a mediator, somebody told me, I don't do much who, who used to mediate a lot. I don't do much mediation anymore. I'm an arbitrator now. Why was my question? And he said, because people don't show up prepared. And I didn't fully appreciate that until I started, you know, 
dug in with my hands and, you know, was in there in the mediation room as the mediator where people were, well, we're here for information gathering. We need to understand. I really don't have any reserves set up on this file. Or, you know, somebody hadn't yet, they hadn't yet heard from the plaintiff. Okay, well, so should we, should we let them hear from your client? No, no, because you know what? They're not prepared to settle today. So I'm not going to give them free discovery. Okay. So, you know, there's like a lot of that that goes on now. So it is sort of an appetizer round or the cocktail round, you know, before we get to the main meal. Um, But there's still a lot that can be used. You can still use the the process to get you uh, and help you advance. But yeah, it's much more of a process now than a a single event. And it really was a single event a long time ago. Okay. All right. Rachel Ehrlich, thank you so much for your time. I learned a lot today. I'm sure our audience did too. Thanks for being with us. Thank you for having me. Before we go, we'd also like to thank our Ringler Radio sponsors, American General Life Company, Berkshire Hathaway, MetLife, Mutual of Omaha, New York Life, Pacific Life, Prudential, and USAA. Ringler is proud to partner with each of these companies as they provide competitive products for individuals seeking security for their financial futures. To learn more about mediator Rachel Ehrlich, we've included her contact information in the show notes. For more information about how a Ringler consultant can assist you with mediation, check out the links in our show notes or visit us at www.ringlerassociates.com. Ringler Radio is a production of Ringler Associates. All of the opinions expressed by the participants of this podcast are their own and do not represent any legal, tax, or financial advice from Ringler Associates. For more information about how to work with Ringler, visit www.ringlerassociates.com.